Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding on air with my co-founder, Mr. Jeff Gann. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. Happy Friday. Today is Friday, March 20th. We ended the week. The market closed down, I think, 15% this week. Um, and today was another volatile day. Uh, if this is the first time that you're tuning in with Jeff and myself, either through YouTube or the podcast, um, you may not be aware, but we are now doing the podcast over air. We do live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and Dallas is pretty much shut down. So Jeff and I are taking precautions, uh, really doing this over the air and working from home. So until that is over and we're recording next to each other, we are going to uh, just be doing the podcast Monday through Friday over the internet, over Skype, and really do our best to make the quality as best as it possibly can. Uh, so in today's podcast, um, we are going to be going over just a, a little bit of a news. Like I said, everything is changing every single day. A lot of stuff came out today. Um, and I think the best way to stay up to date on everything that we're going to be going over is actually heading over to focuscompounding.com and entering your email. Uh, so around four o'clock Eastern Standard Time when the market closes, Jeff and I, um, we send out this the Focus Compounding data. Daily. And what's in there is interesting links from the day, as well as a investing topic from Jeff. And in today's investing topic, we're going to be actually speaking and going over our thoughts on NACO uh, and their earnings call and everything that's going on with them. Um, people email into Jeff every single day, just ask general investing questions. And if we think it's actionable for other people, we're going to include it in this email. And to be able to actually ask him a question, you could click the link and then it'll pull up his email. And then you could ask him whatever, uh, whatever you want. But to get access to this, uh, you can either follow me on Twitter at Focus Compound. I'm going to start tweeting it out every single day, Monday through Friday, or head over to FocusCompounding.com and enter in your email uh, to receive the Focus Compounding daily Monday through Friday. So Jeff, Friday, happy Friday. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Doing good. <laughs> There's a lot that went on today. Um, uh, let's see, New Yorkers, they are now under quarantine. It's like a shelter in place type of quarantine. What do you think uh -huh. about that? Have you talked to your parents? Jeff's parents live in New Jersey. Um, uh, New, Jer New Jersey uh, did something similar, so not all non-essential. Yeah, yeah, all non-essential workers have to stay home. Yeah, got it. So, got it. Yeah. So, and what that means is pharmacies, supermarkets, I think gas stations, um, takeout restaurants. I think those are all still open, uh, but everything else, just you know, bars and gyms and. Um, you know, dining in restaurants and everything related to that is, is, uh, you know, obviously closed, but I think it's just a new standard. Um, you know, it changes the perception of everything that's going on after the market closed today, actually Illinois, which I did include that in this email, Illinois as well, um, is doing a shelter in place. And until you don't know this chef until April 7th, they are okay. going to be having a shelter in place except for all non-essentials. Yeah, for all non-essentials. I think Italy's considering extending theirs through another month or so. So a lot of these that are supposedly a couple of weeks might be extended a very long time beyond that. We'll see. Yeah, I feel like Dallas is going to be, or Texas in general, I'm sure will be kind of you know next. I mean, it'll be interesting to see over the weekend if there's sort of a domino effect of all companies or all states doing this. I mean, California did it. Uh, now Illinois did it. Uh, New York, uh, like New Jersey. So it'll be interesting to see what else... Um, you know, what, what other states sort of join in. I mean, today during the White House uh, press conference, Trump said that they were not considering that. But I just wonder if states are just going to go ahead and, and do it themselves. Yeah. And even in some uh, states, the local governments have done it themselves. I mean, until very recently, Texas wasn't doing anything really statewide. 
Uh, and yet they were already shutting things down, each city and stuff on their own. Yeah. Yeah. So that was obviously, um, you know, interesting. And then another source that I found interesting for people who are on Fintwit, everyone was tweeting about this, Ronin Capital. They were unable to meet uh, requirements at the CME, so they got a margin call. So I'm kind of curious to see how much of, you know, I mean, like in the next couple you know, weeks, next couple of months, how many firms we hear about uh, that had blown up and, you know, you get some sort of unwinding. But I heard, I heard these guys were on the wrong side of the VIX. So they must have been either short volatility or, or, or long puts or something like that. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of, actually, we don't talk about the podcast, but I get a lot of emails from people asking questions about if their money's safe in brokerage accounts and if their money's safe in bank accounts. Yeah, do you want to actually expand on that? Because this was the topic that we were actually talking about recently off camera. Yeah, so people ask that a lot. I mean, in the United States, uh, it's pretty safe. Um, I mean, I think it's safe under any circumstances, but legally it's pretty safe anyway because of insurance things. And if that insurance was to be exhausted, I would think that the federal government would step in and back the uh, two different groups that do that. There's one group that does it for brokerage accounts, and there's another group that does it for um, banks. And um, it's up to a certain limit, so I wouldn't necessarily, um, I mean, if I was running a company or something, I wouldn't necessarily keep large amounts of cash in excess of the federally insured limits. Uh, but you might, I mean, they should probably put those in, you know, very short-term treasuries or something like that, which would be easy for them to do. But, uh, for individuals, the questions I get are a lot from other countries, which I can't answer specifically on them. And a lot of people want to know which bank is the safest and things like that. In general, in the U S if your bank fails, um, it would just be like, you won't have access to your money for a day or two. And, you know, they'll either find another bank to take it over or another brokerage to take over your broker, or um, they'll basically like on a Friday or something, do it. And on Monday, it'll be open again. Got it. Got it. Another, uh, a couple other things that came out today. Gosh, like I said, everything's just changing day by day. The IRS, they extend uh, tax filing deadline to July 15th. Um, so obviously that's very important for a lot of people. Um, and then the education department, um, they said that borrowers can now pause student loan payments. Um, I think it's for the next couple of months. So I think that's good for a lot of people listening and worried about their student their student loans. Actually, I had a, unfortunately, I have a, a friend that uh, found out today that he was getting laid off and he's like, I don't even know how I'm going to pay for my student loans. And I was like, well, I guess um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. They actually announced today that you could put a pause on that. So that's good. And it'll be interesting as well to see if rent is is the next thing that happens. Yeah, we'll see. I was talking to someone about this too recently where they were talking about and they were interested in a credit card company. And um, uh, there's some things that I expect to increase a lot more than people think will happen. So um, I think that non-payment of credit cards and non-payment of student loans will be extremely high because there's little uh, there's little downside to that in the same way as not paying some other bills. So people will probably prioritize paying um, secured debt, so, which includes things like rent because you can be evicted in plenty of states, um, uh, your mortgage because you can be foreclosed on, uh, certainly your car loan, especially if you're a subprime car or something, you'd want to pay your car loan if you still want to have a car because they'll repossess that very fast in some places. And then um, also people will keep paying their phone bills and their utility bills and things like that. What they will stop paying is credit cards and also student debt. Yeah, um, and so you'll probably see that spike a lot. Um, uh, you know, that's the risk if you have um, a lot of unsecured credit. It really just counts on people being willing to pay it, especially very high credit score people. 
So normally credit card companies and stuff aren't used to people outside of a pretty low range not paying, but they're suddenly going to see people not paying. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be impaired and they'll never get the money back, you know, but uh, it means that for the next few months or something, I'd expect to have really surprising numbers of people not paying credit cards and student mm. loans. No, absolutely. What do you think the odds are over the weekend that there are a bunch of other states that, you know, sort of join forces and, and go on a shelter in place or form a quarantine? I don't know. I don't know how necessary it is in the sense that a lot of uh, media is national and stuff and online. People see these things. They're listening to us, whatever state they're in. And so I think a lot of people are probably unclear about what the rules are in their state anyway. Also, generally, these states aren't enforcing it in any way. So like, you know, California have shut down their entire state, but they're not putting anyone out on the streets to enforce it. Mm-hmm. So they're just counting on people to hear what the rules are and follow them. So I would think that a lot of people don't know specifically what the rules are in their city. But if their state or some other city in the state has rules and things and they would follow that or if the neighboring state does. I mean, you know, even if New Jersey didn't do something, if New York City's doing something or New York State's doing something, then some people might start following those rules anyway. Mm hmm. Got it. All right, let's go back to the email and let's talk about NACO, which is a company that they reported earnings recently. It's a, a stock that uh, it's no secret that we own it. We could go over um, stock chart, I guess, to add some context of, uh, you know, it's currently it closed at twenty three dollars. And uh, look, it's got like the, the middle finger pattern. Which yeah, I know that was at sixty five or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then now it closed at twenty three dollars, and they mm-hmm. uh, re- they uh, reported earnings, and there was a lot that I think um, you know I was on the conference call and asked a few different questions. So if you want to get access to that, I think the best place to do that is probably Seeking Alpha if they don't have it on their website anymore. NACO, their investor relations. Um, uh, you could you could hear the call on NACO. They keep it up for two months, so okay. you, could definitely, you could play it there. But the transcripts also, yeah, it's on all sorts of things like seeking alpha and everything yeah yeah and you're the only uh, one on the call just so i am know. Yeah. i am the only one on the call um and somebody emailed into you and again everybody listening can do this themselves if they want and they asked what were your thoughts on naco's latest earnings call so would you like to elaborate yeah so they just went through their concerns and stuff and they talked about that they're uh presumably going to lose a customer now they just said the customer is reviewing the economics of the plant but i assume that means they'll lose that customer and uh they also asked some things about questions about like the fact that they won't have free cash flow this year because they're spending a lot on um, expanding one mine and they're also spending on uh, expanding their uh, their lime rock business too. And then there are also things like a big decrease in natural gas royalties, which might decrease even more than NACO originally thought. Although I don't know. Um, I don't know that they shut down those things. They just don't drill more. I mean, the wells decline so quickly that I think the way you take supply out of natural gas fracking in like Utica and stuff normally is just that you don't drill more wells and that naturally drops off incredibly fast. Uh-huh. And I mean, what were, I mean, other than, so your answer was NAC will likely lose a customer and a lot of its natural gas royalties very soon, which you just said, over time, it will become less of a coal company, more of a diversified mining uh, based service business. And even on the conference call, when I was talking to him, he was saying that in their chairman's letter, he's literally going to say, we think of ourselves as a service business. And uh, that happens to service coal. Yeah. And they're doing less and less of just coal now, um, which I talk about in the email saying that like, there's two ways that this will happen. One, as they lose coal customers, that's the downside of diversifying away from coal. And two, as they add other parts of the business, the combination of those two things will mean, I think in three to five years, something they won't be thought of much as a 
coal company. Um, and that's just because of how much they've invested in other stuff uh, and how much cash they have that they've shown no tendency for a long time now to take cash that they earn from coal and put it back into coal stuff. So they either pile it up on their balance sheet or they invest in other things like they've set up basically will use 50 million eventually to uh, set up a lithium mine. Um, that's a long-term contract there. That's planned for like three years from now. They've put a lot into Lime Rock, and I was saying there that I think it'll start earning real money eventually. It's a pretty big business. It just hasn't been turning a profit yet. But uh, in terms of revenue, it's pretty big already for them, and it's growing. So they've, you know, um, it makes sense that they talk about themselves as like a, a mining service business because they're now going to be operating more um, Lime quarries for other people than you know anyone else around. Um, so they already do a huge amount of what it is in Florida. They've never disclosed how much, but I've got to think it's a very big amount of the total amount of lime in Florida they do now. Um, and they've expanded to other states and stuff. So that business, I expect, will get a lot bigger in terms of profit pretty soon. And so people will start to think of it like, okay, this is also a lime business. Like they'll break up the parts instead of thinking it's mostly a coal business. Uh-huh, sure. And, you know, they also said in the uh, earnings release that they're actually going to start to look also for other natural gas um, yes. you know, opportunities and stuff like that. So really diversifying away from coal and going into, I guess, other sources. And when I asked them about solar, uh, yeah. just to really get a feel for, well, how far are they talking about going, um, that they quickly shut that down, which I guess yeah. is, I mean, I don't know if you'd want to hear that or not, but, uh, you know, I was just trying to get a feel for their thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have at the, as of the end of, uh, you know, their, as of their last balance sheet, they had, uh, you know, 20 some million dollars in debt at a um, subsidiary, which is non-recourse to them. And they had about 120 million in cash. They're expecting to be, I would say, close to free cash flow flat for the year. Um, most companies that would be interested in buying uh, natural gas mineral rights and stuff, a lot of them are not going to have free cash flow this year, have some debt and don't have a lot of cash. So they're obviously in a position to buy a lot if they wanted to do that. I think they talked about starting small and stuff. So I don't know if they will, but obviously this is a if they want to do it, this is a good time. Um, I'm sure the prices are pretty cheap on a portfolio of um, uh, natural gas mineral rights. Sure. Got it. I mean, any other thoughts on NACO? I actually have another business that we were talking about beforehand that I think would be interesting okay. to to hit. So a company that Jeff and I have talked about for a long time, saying that we would love to own it at a certain price, but it never seemed to be cheap, uh, was Copart. And that's a business that's based here in Dallas. We've read, both read the book, Junk to Gold. I think we're it's both fan, fun, yeah. fans of the company. And it's gone from $104 to it looks like it closed around $60. And we could pull up uh, Quick FS. I believe it's still trading for um, about 20 times earnings, which is what it always trades at every time I, I feel like I look at. This says 22 times, uh, but that yeah. doesn't look like it was updated because this is on yesterday's close of mm. about $70 per share. Um, but I think it's closer to 20 times earnings. Uh, the overall industry in general, we obviously you know like, uh, if I remember correctly, they don't have debt um, or they if they do, it's it's you know de minimis and have a ton of cash. I mean, do you have any thoughts on on the business in general? Um, you know, just really looking to bring, I guess, actual ideas to a lot of people, uh, because clearly everything has gotten cheaper, you know, over the past month. Yeah. So Copar got very expensive, obviously, and it's still not what I call cheap. Exactly. Enterprise value to sales you see there is like over seven times and operating margin historically has been, you know, 30 some percent or something. So that's still trading at, um, probably about 
if you adjust for that fact that maybe 20 times um, pre-tax profit on like a, an EV basis. So uh, maybe twice as expensive as what you'd like to pay for, a, you know, a, a stock, an average business or something. So it's still really expensive. There's good reason for why that is, as you can see, the the 10-year growth and all sorts of things is very strong, right? So like they have a 10-year growth of 10% in revenue, but more like 20% in earnings per share. The return on equity is great all the time. And also very capital light business. Yep. Well, it is capital light, except for the them owning locations. So unlike their competitor, they like to own the location. Now, a lot of people make a big deal of that as like, well, there's a lot of hidden value there. Um, I don't think there's hidden value there because <laughs> the yards that they own are worth more by them running them this way, obviously, than doing anything else. No one else could buy the property from them and get returns on equity as high as they have. Um, the thing that we're talking about is there will be a huge drop off in their business. So just to understand what their business is, it's um, basically for, let's think of it mostly for insurance companies. They take the total car. So if you total your car, your insurance company will say, okay, you've totaled your car. We're going to talk to you about what the payment will be and stuff. And you don't really have to deal with your car again. Well, at the point where you don't have to deal with your total car anymore, what's happening is it's being taken to a co-part location uh, under a deal for that region, like say California, maybe you know they have a deal to take all of Geico's business in California or something. Then uh, they will take that uh, car over there. Then they auction it off, and they get basically a percentage of it. And um, the insurance company tries to get the most that they can get from it. It's a um, network effect type business. So there's only a couple companies that are really big in it, and the idea is the benefit that you get as an insurance company, let's say, both as the buyer and then on the other side uh, and as a seller, and then the other side, like a buyer, including from around the world, they actually do a lot of buyers from out, out of the state and out of the country. Uh, you get the biggest inventory, you get the best prices, things like that. It's sort of like having a stock exchange or something, right? You'd want it all to trade on one exchange. So it's kind of, you know, whatever you want to call it, the eBay of uh, these car things, but it has a physical aspect to it too. And the physical aspect is nice because most cities aren't going to want a bunch of different um, junkyards all around their city. They're just going to want one big one um, or two big ones because there's a competitor. But um, there'll be a huge drop off in their business because the number of total cars is going to drop off more than has ever happened you know, in history uh, because people are going to drive so much less. You know, Just like there's going to be the biggest drop off ever in like, you know, demand for gasoline, there's going to be the biggest drop off ever in, um, in terms of people totaling cars. Uh, Buffett, in an interview, which is already, I don't know, a week or two old or whatever, said that Geico was already seeing um, lower, that he could see in Geico's weekly numbers that there was already lower accident figures in a way that made him think people were already driving less. Well, they're driving a lot less now. So there will temporarily be a huge drop off in Copart's results. And that's kind of like what we're talking about with Games Workshop. This is a very steady, I mean, look at, look at the numbers historically that people are used to with this company. And they even talk about it in the book where he kind of, uh, the CEO, the former CEO, the father-in-law of the current CEO, said um, that they learned when they went public to slow down, don't grow as fast, but grow yeah. consistently because make that's what Wall Street wants. Yeah, yeah there's that Wall Street likes consistency. Yeah, yeah so instead of, growing 50, yeah, he, you know, instead of growing 50% one year and then, you know, whatever, you should try to grow 20% all the time, even if it's a little bit slower. Um, and they've certainly done that. They've been very consistent. But they're not going to be now. So I wonder with companies that have been historically so consistent, what happens to their shareholder base when they suddenly see um, absolute inconsistency from them? Like this is something that even in recessions and things like that doesn't normally have a very big difference in its results. 
And now it's going to have a tremendous difference in uh, at least a particular quarter. Mm-hmm. Sure. Is this a company that you would be interested in at this point, I guess, learning more about it? I mean, even though you're very familiar with it, but for somebody that is not familiar with it, I mean, would you ever consider buying this stock? I mean, you know, kind of give me your thoughts on that. Sure. At the right price, I'd consider buying the stock. It's obviously not an overlooked stock. It's very big. What's the market cap on it now? It's um, 16.6 billion. Yeah. So it's, it's huge. But, um, you know, maybe at half today's price or something, it would be interesting. And it could definitely fall to half today's price. It's, it's possible. Um, because, like we said, this is a stock that's priced off of things like P and EBD, EBITDA and stuff. When those kinds of numbers go away or go down a lot, you're going to have problems. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how it'll flow through to them. I mean, it's not something that can happen instantly. So that's with all these companies you kind of think about and you have to think out in your mind, how quickly will this happen? Like some things will happen fast. Um, so, you know, like probably next week, maybe we'll get numbers that tell us how many people are unemployed for, you know, not just unemployed, but how many people filed for the first time for unemployment, Yeah, probably be a, you know, record number and stuff. And when that happens, that'll be kind of probably the first real data that we've gotten that reflects any of this shutdown and stuff, because there's a lag on everything. So they'll be, they can still sell some cars and stuff for a while, but they'll start saying, well, there's way fewer total cars now. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think the Trump administration today was trying to get the jobs number next week delayed. Um, okay. You know, not, not releasing it um, because, you know, who knows? I mean, you could infer why, but yeah. Um, well, one, kind of one reason I think is they pro- it probably won't be as an accurate a number because I'm sure that, that um, anyone who collects information on that can't, collect the sudden surge that, that that's that big but you know yeah. they put it out and then they adjust it later yeah mm-hmm. got it what i i mean at what point i mean look you obviously are, are constantly looking for companies and have expressed on past podcasts to me privately that you're finding obviously a lot of interesting ideas and i mean how could you be um so at what point do you you know pull the trigger and uh, deploy capital. And, and again, I'm asking that question because I want to make it as actual as possible for everybody listening, because I know there's other people thinking the same thing, right? At what point do you actually, um, you know, start to invest in, in all these companies? I mean, is it really just knowing that, you know, look, this is, this can continue to go lower, um, but you think it's cheap and you like it here now. So you're just going to close your eyes and do it. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I don't see any harm in waiting. Uh, I don't really see much a uh, reason why you would buy things now. So waiting uh, for what though? Uh, waiting for better prices. I mean, that's it. <laughs> I mean, at the right price, I'm happy to buy. I and mean, I have prices at which I'd be interested in lots of different companies. Um, but it has to be, you know, the right price. I mean, we talked about NACO. NACO's at, uh, NACO has $14 a share in cash. It's at 20 some dollars. Um, could it get to $14 and you buy it for net cash? Maybe. And maybe some people will do that. I'm not saying if you're really interested in NACO that you should wait that long. But on the other hand, if you have lots of other interesting stocks at low PEs and stuff, then why waste cash buying something else right now? Cash is an option on future lower prices. And a lot of prices in a lot of things will be lower in the future, most likely. I mean, I I think they will be lower. So I wouldn't be in a rush, especially because the prices aren't um, we were starting from a very high level in a lot of stocks. That's part of the problem here. And we also have a lot of stocks that have a lot of, um, we don't own them, but there are also a lot of stocks with a lot of debt. The combination of those things means that on like an enterprise value basis, the market was pretty expensive. 
uh, going into this. It was really expensive. And so we've only gone back. I mean, you have a chart of the S&P there. So wh- where have we gone back to in terms of time? We're now at a level that we were at. Uh, what's this? 2018. 2018 so of, most, December 2018. Okay. Well, end of 2018. So you remember uh, I was investing in things in the, you know, we were setting up things in the middle of 2018. Was I super excited about all the low prices in the summer of 2018? No. Uh, no. Yeah. So we're back to those same prices. And some companies are two years better off, but obviously a lot of companies have more credit risk now and things like that. So I don't see any reason why the market now is more attractive than it was um, two years ago. Uh, however, there are specific stocks that might be more attractive because some things have fallen more and also some things were cheap going into this. That's the difference. So the things that have been really potentially exciting in terms of prices are things that were already cheap for other reasons and then got caught up in this and just have been declining since then. So things that were already like not popular industries or something, and then they really got hit by that. So, um, you know, I, I've been interested in those sort of things. There are also weird dislocations and things. I don't know if you can do this. Can you look up um, standard diversified for me? What's that ticker? Let's see. Uh, the ticker, I think, is SDI. Uh, SDI, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, okay. is that so what... Is that standard diversified? It is. Okay, why do you have the price on that? Uh, $7.60. Okay, now type in TPB. Uh, Turning so, Point Brands. Turning Point Brands, what's the price uh, on that? $16.35. Okay, $16.35. And you said that standard diversified is at what, $6.50? S- $7.60. $7.60 standard diversified? Yeah, that's where it closed today. Okay, so. Um, it should be at $9 and 50 cents because standard diversified explain to people the situation. Yeah. So standard diversified, basically it's main asset. It owns a little bit of other stuff. It's just ownership and turning point brands and the conversion rate between the two is 0.58. So it should trade at 0.58 times the price of turning point brands. In fact, standard diversified had a plan. It's the majority owner to, um, merge the two companies. So you would just end up with shares in turning point brands in, in return for your shares in standard diversified, um, turning point brands dropped a lot. So like if you look, so where was turning point brands before, for instance? Um, let's see. I mean, before when, uh, we could go, I guess, and the year it looks like it was around $27 per share. Right. Because there was the vaping stuff. It has a lot of debt. There's all sorts of other things. So turning point brands is at levels. It wasn't at in like since what is that 16, 17, something like that is when it was yeah. at those levels. Yeah. yeah. Right. And in addition, if you follow it on a day-to-day basis, you'll see that standard diversified and turn point brands aren't, and this happened in the last panic. Um, they're not moving very well together. And those sorts of correlations break down. Um, so the security should be tied together because basically what you're getting in it, by buying Standard Diversified is shares and turning point brands. That's basically what it owns. So, And that happened in, in um, 2008 where there would be, if you have one company that owns another company or if you had preferred stock in one, things in common stock in the same um, stock, things get a little weird because of who's selling it. So different people might be owning turning point brands, which is very liquid stock. Um, then standard diversify, which is like more overlooked and stuff. And so if they just want to get out of it or something, then they might sell turning point brands and they might not sell standard diversified on that day, or they might sell standard diversified on a day that turning point brands is being bought. Um, so there are things like that happening where some specific stocks get very interesting 
the same thing happens sometimes with stocks I've seen where they have no kind of not no well basically no stocks that are even like do government business and stuff dropping by large amounts even though they're not tied to anything um, economically uh, you know that that would be similar to other um, sorts of businesses so they don't have the same risks right from the the um, recession. Uh, whereas you have other stocks that should be declining by very large amounts. I mean, we uh-huh. just talked about NACO, for instance, right? NACO's down a lot, right? Yeah. NACO could be down justifiably, very justifiably for um, reasons having to do with losing a customer, right? That makes perfect sense. And you saw where they got excited, as you said, on the middle finger there. They got, everyone got excited about the <laughs> lithium mine thing and it came back down. I yeah. thought it was kind of silly on the upside and silly on the downside. It went back to the same place, right? But you're now down a lot to beyond even the price that we bought it at. Right. So this drop in NACO, what's that about? NACO has a balance sheet that has no debt at the parent company. It has hundreds of it has one hundred and twenty million dollars of cash, uh, which is now two thirds of the market cap. And its customers are generally utilities. Now, demand for electricity will decline a bit if people are all home and not at work, because normally when people are at work and home and factories are running, the combination of those things does use more electricity than if they're all in one place and not the other. Like people are keeping their homes cold at the same time they're also at work being kept cold. But having said that, demand for electricity is not going to drop the same way as demand for almost anything else in the economy. So, you know, uh, it's tied to things. And the other things that's tied to are like lime. Uh, So, you know, that will drop off in a recession, but it doesn't drop off as much as other things because its price doesn't really fall that much. So those are the sorts of, I mean, so lime goes into for it's used in cement. It's also used for steel stuff, but it's also used in things like water treatment for cities and stuff that will continue. Um, so it just shouldn't decline to the same extent in a recession as other stocks would. And yet, if you look, it's declined pretty similarly. Whereas we own other things, um, like I could think of, like we own a car dealer. A car dealer should drop the way that you're seeing NACO drop, but NACO probably shouldn't drop that way. So, it, And yet they're both falling the same way. So uh-huh. there's opportunities and things like that. And remember, NACO was pretty cheap going into this, you know? So it, it wasn't that expensive. It had already fallen off that first part that you see there. So it, it was, it's now, to, you know, I mean, it's not going to earn what it did last year and, and whatever. But, you know, I don't know if people, uh, we showed them that. But on an actual quote, it's a single-digit PE. It's a pretty low single-digit PE. And that doesn't take into account the fact it has a lot of cash. So... Those kinds of things are very attractive. And so when you ask, like, would I buy Copart? Well, the hard thing is, would you buy Copart or would you buy more of NACO? Um, I just gave the example of Standard Diversified and Turning Point Brands. Turning Point Brands has a ton of debt. However, it's mostly a um, tobacco company uh, that is not – it's tobacco marijuana – that is not um, actually a cigarette company. So it owns the Stoker's brand, which is a a brand of – uh, value brand. It's a low price brand brand sold in bigger tubs of um, chewing tobacco. And then there's also um, a zigzag brand for uh, rolling paper for marijuana. So those are the two big things. Those aren't for marijuana or tobacco. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. For tobacco. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the, the, um, the company has a lot of debt and stuff, right? But you're talking about, I said, like on a look-through basis, it's like a, a single-digit P on a tobacco-type company that is involved in cigarettes. Historically, tobacco companies that don't do cigarettes around the world trade at, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know, 20-sometimes P or something. Like the kinds of things that would be comparable to are like Swedish Match or something like that. Um, that would be like a competitor in the U.S. that's big in other parts of the 
the world, but it's those sorts of things. So, you know, if you get an opportunity to buy, you know, a great business like Copart or something or something at a really, really cheap price, that's what's attractive. Um, the stocks that have only fallen in line with the market, you know, what are we, 30% or something? That's only taking, the top. Okay, it's only taking us back a few years. It's not, it, it doesn't really change my outlook that way. I see specific things that are getting really interesting and I'm seeing weird um, trading between things that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so I'm seeing some things that are the breakdown and, you know, things that should be correlated, not being correlated and stuff like that. But across the entire market, I wouldn't be like, oh, you should buy the S&P 500 or you should buy a basket of stocks or something that doesn't look interesting to me at all yet. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself. It is Friday, and the next time we are going to record this is going to be Monday. And I promise you, I am very certain there is going to be probably a lot to talk about. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the weekend and then how uh, the market opens on Monday. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself. Be sure to go to focuscompound.com if you want to sign up uh, to receive premium research uh, written by Jeff and other members. Uh, use the podcast promo code, which is podcast, the word podcast, and I'll take some money off of the subscription price. And definitely, as long as you do stay a member. Also, go over to Twitter and follow me at Focus Compound. And then to get access to the Focus Compounding daily that we do reference, uh, you could either go to my Twitter and get it because I'm going to tweet it out, or you could have it end up in your mailbox simply by entering in your email. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself, and we will see you on Monday in the next podcast.